VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everybody. Welcome to The Ruck, our weekly podcast. Thanks for downloading us. Thanks for listening to us. When we were last together with you, England were almost on top of the world. Things have changed. A week is a long time in politics and also in sport. We've got a great panel today to go through all the aspects of it. Nigel, by the way, has been a colleague of mine at the Sunday Times. For how long, Nigel? When was your first year as a writer? It's got to be 20 years, Steve. 20 years ago. He was seven when he, when he, when he started. <laughs> Nigel's a distinguished coach. Uh, his team, London Irish. Colts got a, a, a big win of, uh, in the Cup on Sunday, uh, thanks to his coaching, naturally. And also his programme, Fisherman's Blues, where Nigel shows probably, I think, his greatest strength. He's one of the most distinguished observers and fishermen in the fishing community uh, in the UK. And you think I'm joking, don't you? But I'm, I'm not. The rest of the panel is incredibly fishy as well. Um, we've got Nick Kane from the Rugby Paper. Nick, how long at the Rugby Paper? A decade now. A decade, and that's uh, that's the, well, you went, you were in at the start of the paper. I was absolutely. A- and yeah. there are many uh, publishing ventures in rugby that don't go so well, but quite good to mark a decade. Very good, very good, and uh, hopefully go from strength. Strength of strength. And are the salaries as huge as they were at the start? Absolutely. Breaking the ceiling at the moment. Okay. <laughs> and um, we've also got uh, the dog man, Adam Hathaway. And there's great news from the greyhound uh, scene because Adam, after two uh, running two dogs for a long time, the success has gone to your head. Mm. And you've now bought a third. What's the third one called? I, I can't tell you that, I'm afraid. We've um, dipped into our massive uh, transfer war chest. But what we're doing is dog is going to meet the Sunday papers on Friday. Right. Um, within, so it's totally embargoed. We'll have pictures yeah. of him kissing the badge and stuff like that. So, Right. Kissing, what's like, kissing the badge mean? Kissing the badge, like all the footballers. Oh, do. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Legs, has it got between three and five legs, the dog? Uh, I think we're hoping it's got four. Right. Well, in the aftermath of um, of Murrayfield, England, Scotland, what, what, in fact, what an incredible weekend it was everywhere. France and uh, Italy looked incredibly competitive. Wales and. Um, Ireland ditto with with Ireland really I, I thought setting down the marker. Nick, uh, you were at you were at Murrayfield. Um, did you have a nice journey back? Uh, I had a superb journey back. Comfortable on the train, was <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Leisure first class. Yeah, problems at all. Yeah, good. On on pretty much on time. Absolutely. Okay. On the button. I I had a nice journey back as well. I came down with BA uh, Barnsley and I had a glass of champagne. We were offered in the in the BA lounge, spot on time, very very big seats and everything like that, and. Um, Love the journey book. Adam, um, your journey back, nice and comfortable. Mm, how long you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, I stood up. Not for, as long as you I, I, I stood up for five and a half hours. Um, it was like Sardine City. It was an absolute nightmare. Couldn't even get to the bar 
until we got got past York, which was more of a problem than standing up, to be honest. Um, yeah, absolute shocker. Did you, uh, which train company was that? I think they should be named. Um, it's owned by a bloke with a beard. Right, okay. So, so Clement Freud uh, Railway, was it? <laughs> yeah. Owned by a bloke with a beard? What, do you mean Richard Branson? I do, yeah. Okay. And so was, He'll be getting a few letters. There was a lot of irate punters on there. So you stood up for how many hours? Five and a half. Right, excellent. Okay, well, that's a... Uh, did, and, and was that... Did that in any way alleviate the sadness you felt because England lost, or did that make you feel even worse? Um... I was in a great mood anyway, to be honest, but uh, by the time I got to King's Cross, I, well, by the time I got to York and I'd had a drink, I'd settled down a bit, but uh, yeah, it was a nightmare. There was a lot of really upset England fans on there. Nigel, um, you gave me an input to the, to the game uh, for free on Saturday because you were texting me during the game and pointing out things. One of the things you said was, before we get onto the technical stuff, you said almost word for word, it's so nice that a game can be still altered or won or lost by sheer passion. Do you think that actually Scotland, with that passion, sort of wanted it more? I think they did want it more. They always seem to against England. But, you know, it shouldn't be overcome the fact that their technique was great and their tactics were great. The way they went wide against our blitz defence and the way they exploited our poor technique at the breakdown. But yeah, I think passion, it's lovely to see that passion can still win a rugby match. I think it's a bit like the iceberg theory. Every good thing that happened, the crowd lifted them, they lifted each other and you just got to the stage where you just thought there's no way England are going to win this match. Another thing you said was, I mean, now, now and again when you see that two sides in the match have decided not to contest the breakdown. So in other words, when there's a tackle they all jump to their feet and there's two lines of 15 people all there Scotland said to hell with that we're going to to contest was that the area where you thought the differences were most marked because Scotland piled in and England didn't know how to handle it definitely I mean the thing is with the piling in what I always say to players you know, if you if you go, you know, the breakdown is continually changing and Richie McCaw, you know, started the famous jackaling. Now, if you're trying to jackal, the way I see it, there's three most likely outcomes. You get you win the ball, you get creamed by the opposition, or you get pinged by the ref. Now I'll ask you, what do you think the least likely of those three are? To turn the ball over? Exactly. That's the least so most teams don't bother and you know, most coaches will tell you not to bother, but the thing You've always got to make a nuisance of yourself and, you know, don't give them the ball for nothing. And the best thing is, is if you think you can quickly snatch it, do, which Scotland did very well, or else counter-ruck and just drive over the top, which Scotland did extremely well. But the fault, I think, is that England's technique is so poor because they're lazy when they go to ground. For a start, they don't go to ground on their terms. They take ages wrestling to ground. They then have to commit too many men and the ball is too close to Scotland. Whereas if you get the long present where the player is lying lengthways, back-facing his own trilome, his hands on the ball, it only needs one or two players to go over and anchor over him and Scotland can't counter-ruck and can't can't try and jackal. And I think so, that's what England do wrong. The long present, what you mean is you're almost lying parallel to the touchline, exactly. not, par- not parallel that's to the... T- t- that's t- exactly t- right. And yeah. then you don't give Scotland a sniff of the ball. Yeah. And the game would have been completely different. I'd, I've never seen England do it. The lo- I mentioned to you off air, the last time I saw England a really good long present was Sam Burgess at the World Cup in 2015, and he's a rugby league player. Yet, um, you know... I respect Steve Borthwick. I'd love to speak to him about it because I just can't understand why I see England so sloppy on the ground. The well, presentation is awful. Well, he's not speaking to us, so he'd probably speak to you. He's got all the time <laughs> in the world. Adam, um, let's not uh, see this as an England defeat. It was a Scottish Scottish victory. They really piled in. Now, now they were clearly going to set out to run the ball from the back with Hogg, 
uh, with Maitland, really good attacking players with Hugh Jones, and they really cashed in on that. They made acres of ground out wide. First of all, on a slightly Ingen negative, is that wasn't what was that why Jonathan Joseph was in the was not in the team to stop that uh, play because of his mm. tackling and defence at outside centre. Well, yeah, there is this perception that Joseph is a this sort of silky runner, but he's actually in the team because he's supposed to be a good defensive organiser. That's a big thing that Eddie talks about, and it didn't happen on um, Saturday. They got cut to ribbons. I mean, Russell Jones. I mean, that Joe, the Jones try was like I was listening to the radio commentary in the stand, and um, I think it was Matt Dawson said that Jones try was like the O'Driscoll one in two thousand and one, hmm. when he scored under the post. Yeah. Um, they were just cut to pieces. They've got to sort that out. Don't know how they're going to do it in two weeks. And the trouble is with that, Adam is. Again, like you said, Steve, about you don't commit to the breakdown, so you just defend narrow round round the edge and try and force the turnover second or third time round with the double tackles. But what it happens is your defensive line, in the old days, it would have been 9, 10, 12, 13, whereas, of course, you get forwards out in that defensive line. And you had Nathan Hughes standing at centre for that mm. try. Yeah. And if you're a forward, your feet aren't as quick. Certainly, you know, a centre's going to roast you every time. So you've got to defend narrower. Whereas there was too big a gap and they were just so <laughs> badly exposed. Got the, they've also got the, that press as well, which sometimes leads to dog legs. Joseph was a long way up, for example, when Russell set Jones away, I think, for the uh, before the uh, second try, I think. Yeah. And, mm. you know, that the Russell's passing was laser beam. Laser yeah, beam accurate. He, I think his passing was brilliant. And it was a significant difference between the two sides. But yeah. for me... The other, the other difference, the word I'd use to sum up England in almost every single aspect of the game is static. They were static in every single department, certainly up front. And, you know, by comparison, the Scots were urgent, they were fierce, and they were much faster. We talk about the loose ball. There's all this stuff that's been going on for years about the fact that now you've got identikit flankers. They showed categorically, as the New Zealanders have and the Australians have, you need open side flankers and fast blind sides as well. You need to be fast to the loose ball, and England are not. I, I, I totally agree with that. Just, just, just going back to Scotland for a second. I mean, I have to say that we all knew they were going to try and run from the back, Hogg and, and, and Jones and, the, and, and these guys. And I have to say it was, it was joyous. It was exciting because they, 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 they went for it. And, and to me, that, that nailed down my, my argument. I mean, okay, sometimes people say it sounds like a broken record, but Mike Brown and his England uh, back three, they are nothing like a team. They're three blokes, one stuck there, one stuck there, and one stuck in the middle. And look, the week before, Mike Brown, fair enough, defended extremely well against Wales. But these days, it is so easy to go up and get a high ball because the opposition, because of the way the laws are played for safety, they can't go up with you. They, they, you risk a yellow card, you risk, risk a red card. And, and England just did not have anything remotely from the back. You, this thing, the contrast between Brown who sticks his head down and takes contact and Hogg, on that, in that sense, was incredible, and I just thought they they were joyous. And Hugh Jones, his his angles and his composure was superb. But Nick, let's just go back briefly to um, England Scotland should always be with England's forward heritage, driving more, big scrum, putting the finger on Scotland. That did not happen. Are you finding the driving mall attempts that England do now as an embarrassment? Yes, I thought. Um they there's no snap there's no drive there's no rumble and there's no street smartness about what they do at all for me 
the setup was absolutely static most of the time. And when the Scots hung off, England looked flummoxed. They didn't look as if they knew what to do. They didn't advance. They didn't send runners blasting off the side. And when the Scots engaged, you know, because England waited, when they hit them, they hit them hard and in numbers. And what they did, and it's a, it's a classic, I'm sure Nigel, you know, knows better than I do almost, but, you know, they either knocked them backwards because they hit it hard and in numbers, or they knocked them sideways. It's called chopping the log. You then, you, there's not no offside. You're then in on the ball. And it, I, I thought that their, that their technique in the uh, tight loose, you know, the drive, the line out drive, I thought it was really poor. But it's not the only area. The breakdown, their technique, both individually and collectively, isn't good enough. Scotland counterrupt all day. So even England's ball that England thought that they'd got was very often disrupted. The scrum, Eddie Jones talked before the uh, the, the uh, tournament that this was going to be Dan Cole's, you, you know, coming of age as a, as a real gnarled veteran, that he was going to cause all sorts of trouble. England have been okay on their own ball. Now, I'm not going to say that they, they haven't, but they haven't disrupted anybody anywhere. And his stats for a front row forward um, on, on Saturday, no meters, um, no gains at all. That is not good enough at test level these days. I and thought I thought that actually that Simon Bergman, who I didn't know much about for Scotland, looked looked a real prospect up front as well. But uh, uh, let's just go. Yeah, uh, Nick mentioned Eddie Jones then, Adam. You you would see more of Eddie Jones than than anyone because you know as a a daily uh, journalist covering sixty four papers a day, <laughs> you have to go there and uh, and listen and listen to him now. Um, when I read the transcripts, I hear, first of all, that he's got this new uh, category of player called uh, apprentices. I, I, I hate that. I, I, that's nothing to do with the national squad, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Then we hear that David Moyes might be coming in. There's an Australian coming in. There's someone else coming in. Then we hear that there are cameras there, which, as Eddie explained, follow the player to check his body language and what he's doing every moment of the day, except when he's in bed. Is he wasting time here, which he could put to good use coaching England? These gimmicks and things like that, they do they do make good copy for us. Um, but you do wonder if they're taking too far sometimes. I mean, bringing people in from other sports, um, picking other sports brains. Um, Stuart Lancaster did it. He got slaughtered for it mm. when he brought in people like Bradley Wiggins. I don't know if it's because Eddie is an Aussie or he's perceived as a better coach than Lancaster. But um, if he does it, it's a stroke of genius. If Lancaster did it, he was a fool, you know. Um, I think it's because his win-loss record has been has been oh, yeah. such that he's, yeah, he's, sure. he's sort no, of sure. almost been. Uh, you sure. also wonder how many of them he's bringing in or approaching him and want to come and try and learn from England. You know, when he's got such a good record. But I agree with you, Steve. You know, twice we passed to Mike uh, to May Johnny May when he was virtually in touch, and another time we passed to Watson. I think it was Brown and threw it over his head. Yeah, and no sign of an old-fashioned switch, which would have worked on all three occasions. You, you, you are very much an attacking coach quick ball etc um, but I still think am I old fashioned in saying that England's heritage is is a forward game you can still just about despite the cheating opposition despite the way that the scrum has been depowered get a grip on the opposition up front with a driving ball and, and a scrum etc and, and an attacking line out is it have they given away their heritage here yeah I think so because like you say 
what you know watching a game from the stands or on the TV you can't see the sapping effect it has when you have that driving mall and the driving line out and a, and a scrum where you're putting them under pressure it's wearing you down every single every single time it's wearing you down both mentally and physically you know if we did have the scrum that Eddie aspires to teams would be packing down against us thinking oh god another scrum you know someone knocks on they're going to think of the pain that's about to be inflicted on them but it's, there's no sign of it happening but you know, you know that I've been of the view that the uh, that the England pack has not been as good as many believe, and um, while there's no lack of endeavour from players like Dylan Hartley, Cole, Laws, Launchbury, and Robshaw, you can be busy in this game without being very effective. And the Scots were busy too, very busy, and they were effective. And I believe that um, you know they they. England are going to have to do something. If they have got aspirations of being world champions in 2019, this is a watershed. And there have got to be changes, in my view, up front. He hasn't got enough front row carriers who are dynamic, and he hasn't got enough back row uh, forwards who are really, you know, strong over the ball, fast to the breakdown. And uh, I think that it's a it's 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 a serious issue. Although his record is obviously still, the ledger is still massively in his favour. But these defeats are damaging. Guys, I think we gave that a fair uh, turning over there. Some some excellent points. In the cold light of day, England had just lost one game. Um, Scotland won one game, and now Scotland have to go to Ireland, who are playing out of their skins. Uh, England have to go to Paris, where they always find fertile ground. So it's it's not uh, there's the you know the sun hasn't set forever. Will England now be bold, or will they say what's done us for twenty four games might do us for twenty five games or whatever it is? Do you think Eddie now is under pressure to make changes? He might be under pressure to make changes, and I certainly think there should be a couple. But on Saturday night, he said, "Don't expect too many changes." So. He's not going to take any notice of me. And the couple you make, you would make are? Well, I'd probably get Underhill in at seven, switch Rob Shaw to six, probably give Watson a run at fullback and start Noel because when England wanted to win that game on Saturday, they stuck Watson at fullback and brought Noel off the bench. You're leaving, uh, for instance, you're leaving the England captain there where he was, taken off after 55 minutes? He does it every week. Okay. I don't know what the big song and dance was about that. Nick, um, Adam, fairly conservative there yeah. uh, with his with his selections. Uh, would you be a bit bolder if you were Eddie Jones? Yes, I think I would. I would definitely uh, start. You know, he has to tackle the captaincy issue. He doesn't want to. I would definitely start with George. And I don't know whether Hartley, I suppose initially Hartley, Hartley to the bench. And if he produces off the bench in the loose. But England have got too many players who are not really powerful enough. You look at Ireland against Wales, you look at the Irish carrying in all positions. They've got carriers in virtually every position in the pack. England don't. You know, Dan Cole's nil zero metres tells you everything that you need to know. Hartley won't have made many more. You want Jamie George? Are you keeping Mike Brown? I don't think I would keep Brown at the moment. And one of the reasons for that would be I'm not... Totally convinced that he doesn't run well from the back. Occasionally, I think he, well, he, there was certainly a stage where he made yardage all the time and he still manages to make yardage, but his distribution is just not good enough. And, and also that ability to pop up in the line in and see, see the line breaks from, you know, from, from a distance. So that's my, my main, you know, my main issues with him. But Watson was not 
great either against Scotland. N- Nigel, um, the coach's point of view, wh- who would you be looking to change? The main things I would change would be the game plan. You know, it doesn't matter what personnel you've got. Like, for instance, you know, you mentioned Cole. It really winds me up when I see Cole standing a couple of metres to the side of a ruck, standing still, already marked, flat pass to him, and he goes to ground. You know, I'd like to see our forward runners coming round the corner. You know, Mako Vunapola is the only one with the hands to do the nice little out-the-back pass or the wraparound. Sure. We've scored tries off that in And the we past. scored one on Saturday yeah. as a result of it again. You exactly. Know, for, we just yeah. need to be a bit clever in some of the things we're doing. I agree with Nick on Mike Brown. You know, I always compare Mike Brown to American football. He's an absolutely brilliant punt returner. Um, you know, in American football, they'd have him on for the punt return and then you'd have somebody else in your attacking game because I agree with you. He'll run the ball back with interest. If you're a forward, you'll love him because you'll see the ball get hoofed over your head and you haven't got to turn around because he'll run back past you and you can re-win it. But he goes to ground. He needs to be delivering scoring passes. But and as Nick says, coming into the line and, you know, scoring tries coming between the centres. I, I, I said to, oh, two weeks ago that this team had reached its upper limit. I, I'm absolutely certain they have. And I would have Watson at fullback because he's far more comfortable at fullback than he is on the wing. He's far more involved. Bentio must at outside centre. They've spent two years trying to work out if he's good or not. He must start in Paris. I'd have Richard Wigglesworth because I think he's easily the most accomplished player in the Bex, best box kicker. And I fr- I'm afraid we're going to have to start finding out about some people. Now, Harry Williams conceded a penalty when he came on at tight end prop, which wasn't very, very good. But we're going to have to find out because Harry is a big and active lad. And he's got to be, anyone could, could contribute more than Dan Cole. Stevie and they've also. got to put Don Armand in because they've got to get an Irish, big Irish-like forward to drive the ball and to start giving it back to the opposition and sticking it up their noses. And England don't. Underhill I have reservations for, but they have got to play him because he's the nearest thing they got to a flanker. So what's that, seven changes probably? Well, for me, the, you know, as soon as Simmons is back on... Uh, back from injury, I would have there two players bracketed for the seven shirt. One is Underhill and the other one is Simmons. They need speed at seven. They've got to quicken up. And, you know, it's, it, it's a prerequisite. You look at, I mean, Barkley on, on Saturday for Scotland, Barkley is a seven. He's a seven by, you know, for all his career. He's slowed down a bit, so he's now at six, but his instincts are a seven. Watson is a, Hamish Watson is a seven. Yeah. So they had two on the field. And Ryan Wilson also plays at, at seven quite a lot. And the three of them, I mean, between them, they must have won 10, over, ten, ten turnovers, mm. at least, of English ball. Let's, just, let's just move on. Um, Scotland, um, there's no hiding place in international rugby. Adam, very, very difficult to, place to play Ireland, especially when they're scenting a grand slam. Gregor Townsend was talking about after the game on Saturday, he said, you know, it's all very well winning at Murrayfield, but we've got to start winning on the road. Um, they've got a, I think they've got a sneak, but they, they are bang up against it because Ireland are playing well despite, I mean, they dominated Wales despite the scoreline. Mm. Ireland are playing well despite missing about five lines. Nigel, we're talking about, um, no, Nick was talking about ball carriers there. Front row is still so important. If you can get a ball carrier who also can scrummage well, you're in. You look at the Irish, they got, the Porter came in instead of Furlong on Saturday. Never heard of him before, not, not very much. Played really, really well. They had, they got a choice between Kean Healy and uh, Jack McGrath on the loose head. Both, both of them are carriers. Furlong is a carrier. They've now got, uh, John Ryan, the, 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 the prop. So many big, hard, mobile forwards there. 
on Saturday, James Ryan, the new lock, looked like he he he, he was in business. Aren't they light years ahead of the other teams yeah, in yeah. trying to develop the proper players for the new era? Yeah, and again, part of that is the game plan. I mean, even Devon Toner, if you stood Devon Toner in a room with a pair of shorts on next to Mario Itoji, there'd be no comparison. You know, what an athlete Mario Itoji is, yet we don't use him as a carrier. I mean, if you saw Mario Itoji, you'd think you could give him the ball and he could run half the length of the pitch, taking half the opposition with him, but yeah. he never does. I, I'm, Whereas, intri- I'm intrigued by this because I, I think that Jones has got... I mean, Ireland have developed real depth. There's no question about that. And you could see that in the game against Scotland. But England have got phenomenal depth. They've got possibly more depth than any other country. I'm not sure that Jones is tapping into that depth as he needs to at the moment. He has blooded blooded quite a lot of players. You look at the Argentina tour and so on. But when push comes to shove, he goes back to base all the time. I mean, I'm just looking at an England third team that I picked on uh, this last weekend. Alec Hepburn, he's dropped down the pecking order because Marla's come back and Mako Vunapola. Mako looks a bit tired to me. I'd, I'd, I'd certainly consider uh, jazzing it up at, uh, at, at Loosehead. Luke Cowan-Dickey, probably of all the English hookers, on the hoof, the strongest. He's not a distributor of the ball like uh, George. George can play. Hepburn's a bit more straight up and down. But in terms of sheer power, if you want a bloke who can carry through a couple of people, then Cowan-Dickey can do it. You know, England have got these guys. Sinclair, he's just come back from injury. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, he's certainly not played particularly well yet. But we saw on the Lions tour that he's got he's got speed. He's got dynamism. You know, we've got lots. You, you look at the extra lot, Johnny Hill, who's, who's not even, you know, featuring in anything. Callum Green, who's, t- you know, the Newcastle boy, who's a real boots so and braces. Are you saying lot. that selection's wrong? I'm saying that he could be more more adventurous and give, you know, give hope to a few more, you know, more blokes who are producing week in, week out in the Premiership. Okay, let's just uh, reflect on the France Island game. Um, one name was on everybody's lips, Mathieu Bastien. Uh, he's been in trouble for various reasons. Uh, he wouldn't doesn't look like he does an awful lot of training or or diet stuff really. But how effective was he? I mean, he, um, Adam, you, you were studying it carefully. Um, well, he, he was great. I mean, he was <clears throat> picked by default because um, Brunel took the moral high ground about eight of his, eight of his players going on the source in Edinburgh. On the source. On the source. <laughs> That was the official citation. <laughs> maybe that's the, what he was. I asked world, pe- world Rugby Penalties for source. Uh, Bastero came in and he was terrific. I mean, he is a lump and he's, if he plays against England, he's going to cause them some damage because he, he can pass with three tacklers hanging off him. It must be bad for the soul watching uh, France the last 15 years because we know what they should be able to do, but they don't. Is there any signs that they're getting some sort of balance between the clod-hopping game and some of the old flair they used to have? Teddy Thomas is there with the flair, isn't he? And, yeah, they have got a strong pack. I can't believe that Brunel doesn't want to play Pickamole. I think, you know, Pickamole does what Bastro does, which is carries strongly, but offloads. Yeah, and again, offloading is something I think is a weak part of England's game because nowadays defences are so rammed you know, an offload is one great way of opening a defence because you, know, you can commit two defenders and put a teammate who makes a nice late angled run through the gap where the defenders were. And um, Bastero will always do that. I was going to say, if you're as big as Bastero, you pull in about six or seven. Yeah. And he did before the, the the offload out of the back to Bonneville. Maybe you should have more sauce then. If you <laughs> yeah, <know that>. exactly. <laughs> they, um, we, we, we've not touched on Wales very much. Um, 
There is a theory going, going uh, gaining ground that Wales were never going to be at the top of the table this year, although they're in mid-table. But um, my theory when I said that England had reached the top of their resources because they didn't appear to have any world class to come in is the opposite of Wales because Wales, lest we forget, have got seven Lions who are currently unavailable, including three or four of the best players in the world. Now, um, Wales, in a way, only have to finish mid-table this year to think we're in, they, they play World Cups very well. So, uh, Nick, um, not all gloomy for Wales? No, I definitely don't think it's all gloomy for Wales. And I think that if they could uncover a, 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 just a couple more um, heavy-duty, heavy-carrying uh, front five forwards, that they'd be, uh, that they'd be in clover. I, I, I think that Wales would settle for the Irish third-choice Lucid and Tighthead. <laughs> 
you know, the Maitland try was a classic example. You know, Dylan Hartley was talking about a rectangle. It's a very wide rectangle. Most teams just play down the middle. Whereas if you think he steered that play out to the right, almost to the touchline, then rewound, then the long pass. I just thought that was superb. You know, the way he marshaled the backs and, you know, made the most, you know, launched his runners. Uh, there's no notice to the uh, awful villain of the weekend, Richard Branson. Thank you for uh, conveying my colleague, uh, Mr. Branson, uh, for 11 hours with no seat and no sauce, as, as Adam would put it. Um, but Knight, um, as a proud London Irishman, well, you're not an Irishman, but you're a proud London Irishman, they beat Worcester on the weekend. Um, is it too, too late? I mean, you, you, we all know, actually, they're a great club in the making there. Is it too late? It looks like it. Yeah, it's hard to believe that they can dig themselves out of this one. It's also hard to believe, yeah, looking back to the first game of the season that I covered at Twickenham, where they comprehensively outplayed Harlequins, mm. and you thought, you know, welcome back, this is it. It's just almost inconceivable to think they haven't won since. They've been desperately unlucky with injuries. But I think it's you know a case of the haves and the have-nots. They haven't you know they haven't got the playing squad. You know they, the other teams are more Man City. It's um yeah it's just a real shame. But uh, I hope they do bounce back because I think you know down they are going to go. And be- before I ask you guys for your just last impressions of the weekend, and if the Six Nations is in rude health, I just want to mention Worcester who lost the Worcester. There's rumours that they they're going to be bought by um, the Scottish Rugby Union, who have no idea what professional rugby is. It couldn't even spell it. Um, and Worcester, to me, and people have told me this who know the financial scene, they say there is a club there. There is a definite thriving rugby club there. What are the people in charge there currently doing? Are they going to sell it to someone who's got more ambition than them, or are they going to run it down? Because that is a great club which is going to find itself in trouble. So coupled with the name of Richard Branson, we'll have the people on the Worcester board uh, please sell the club to someone who knows what they're doing or invest in it yourself because it is a great club. That's my uh, <laughs> sermon for the day. Six Nations, uh, love it or hate it, it's back with a bang on the weekend. Nigel, are we, are we, are we, do we sometimes underestimate the impact that it has? It's still great. The trouble is when you've got a World Cup looming, everybody's looking ahead to that rather than just savouring it for what it is. No, Nick, should, should we be savouring these these games? Because well, it, it was thrilling on the weekend. Yes, it was, absolutely. And I, I, you know, the way that Scottish Scotland played with that sort of ferocity and elan, you've now got a fascinating uh, prospect of England having to go to Paris to pick up their uh, their their challenge again and to and to see whether they can they can translate themselves into yeah. this world champion side that they hope they can be you know it's fascinating adam car or bus next time maybe mm, um it might be in the back of your motor but i'll tell you what one thing about the six nations it might not give us the world cup winner next year but the southern hemisphere was killed to have a tournament like this absolutely killed for it and finally um it was the start of the super rugby season this weekend cheerio 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.